Thank you, Steve. We are in our fifth and final week of our series, Set Me Free. Um, I'm excited for today's message. I'm excited to start our next series. Um, the plan right now is to do a series on conflict resolution. So relationships, whether it's marriage or dating relationships or just interpersonal relationships, how does a Christian, how does a follower of Jesus deal with conflict? So we're going to talk about that um, in our next several weeks, and so you want to be a part of that. Uh, I think it's important that we see what Jesus says, and then we learn how to do that. And we try it on each week. We try a little baby step in following Christ, see how it does, and let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. So I'm excited about that. But we're going to finish up this week with um, week number five. Week number five. And so we started by asking, what is freedom? What is freedom? Because if we don't have a good definition for freedom, and we say that freedom is anything else other than the situation I'm in, because a lot of us are in situations where we want to get free. We're stuck in a, in a habitual behavior. Maybe we're stuck in a, in a relationship that's not good. Maybe we're stuck in a habit that's not good. Maybe a cycle of thought or, or whatever. Fill in the blank. We all can easily get stuck in places and need freedom from that. So, but if we define it as anything else, then we could easily go running out of one cage right into another. Right into another situation that's just as bad, if not worse, than the situation we were in. And so we defined freedom with Jesus' words that freedom is following Jesus. And he said it like this in John chapter 8. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And the result of this will be, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's a progression. Continuing in Jesus' word, following Christ, leads to knowing the truth, and knowing the truth leads to the freedom. But we don't get to the freedom without following and being obedient to Christ. So last week we talked about some spiritual disciplines. These are tools that you can use to increase your, your walk with Christ, to strengthen your walk with Christ. And these should be done on a weekly basis, a daily basis, uh, sprinkling them in. I asked you last week to pick a couple and work on them and try them out this week. So I hope you did that. I hope it went well for you. I hope uh, you learned something about yourself. Um, but we have the, the ones of engagement, Bible reading, worship, prayer, soul, friendship, personal reflection, and service. And then the, uh, the disciplines of denying ourselves, solitude, silence, fasting, Sabbath, secrecy, and submission. You can listen to last week's message online at cbcfamily.church and get more details on what those are and how to try those on. But this week, we're going to continue on in our study and we said you're only good at what you practice. You're only good at what you practice. And today we're going to look at a group of people who are doing the right things on the outside. They're doing the right stuff on the outside, but something on the inside completely derailed their walk with God. They're doing the right things on the outside, but something on the inside completely derailed their walk with God. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, and this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. He's going to teach us something. I don't want you guys to not know what's going on. I don't want you to be ignorant. So I'm going to teach you something. And then he starts talking about the Old Testament and Exodus. How that our, all our fathers were under the cloud. He's talking about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And when he says under the cloud, he's talking about a cloud, a pillar of cloud that went before the nation of Israel and led them in the wilderness. 
And when the cloud would get up and move, then Moses would say, all right, it's time to pack up. And they would follow the cloud. And all that passed through the sea. When it talks about the sea, it's talking about the Red Sea. The, the God let the children of Israel go by sending plagues on Egypt. You should check it out in Exodus around chapter um, 20. or Actually, just start in Exodus chapter 1. And you can get the whole story. But God sent plagues. Pharaoh finally lets the children of Israel go. They get to the Red Sea. They have nowhere to go. And Moses raises his rod as God commanded. The Red Sea opens up and they walk through on dry land. Okay? So, I don't want you to be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud. So they're following Christ. They pass through the sea, this incredible miracle, which is a picture of baptism, which we're having today in verse 2. And we're all baptized unto Moses. Now, this part's weird. Why does it say baptized unto Moses? Why would we baptize someone unto Moses? Today, um, we have Ava and Mickey that are getting baptized. Uh, maybe some, some of the rest of you want to get baptized today. I don't know. But I'm not going to baptize you. I baptize you, my sister, in the name of Moses. Now what? <laughs> what does that mean? Why would they be baptized unto Moses? Like, what does that mean? All were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It means that their baptism was a choice of them following Moses. Moses was their leader. And so they were, their baptism was a statement of faith in their leader. And their leader was Moses. And this continued on into the New Testament. And you see a lot of the conversations that Jesus has with scribes and Pharisees are about what Moses taught. Moses said this, but what do you say? Moses said this, but what about this? Moses said this. And so they, they kind of lean on Moses as the guy. In verse 3, And did all eat the same spiritual meat? God sent quail for them to eat. But not only did he send quail, his presence was with them. And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drink of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. It was Jesus Christ who sustained them every single day in the wilderness. It was Jesus Christ who fed them. It was Jesus Christ who gave them water to drink. And it was Jesus Christ who kept them physically alive. He kept them physically alive in the wilderness. Uh, a lot of you guys know I like electronics, embedded electronics. And when you're working with embedded electronics, um, we have a saying of, it's when you mess up and you put too much voltage or too much current, it's called releasing the blue smoke. Okay, you, you accidentally released the blue smoke. You know what I'm talking about, Steve? So check this out. This is a picture of someone accidentally releasing the blue smoke. When this happens on your workbench, it's a bad day. Uh, this is not good. If this happens, it's bad. If you've, how many of you have ever accidentally released blue smoke? Yeah, yeah, we got some, some, uh, blue, some guys. So you know what you're talking about. And people are, people are usually shocked when they find out I'm a terrible electrician. Let me just wait on it. Come slow. <laughs> but, but here we have an electronic, and it released the blue smoke. So it has given up the ghost. Rest in peace. We've got to get a new one. And it is Jesus who keeps the blue smoke in you. Okay? I want you to think about it like that. It's Jesus who keeps the blue smoke in you. It's Jesus who keeps you alive. Whatever's going on inside those microelectronics that makes them work, that all of a sudden doesn't work when they get too much current or too much voltage. Whatever, it burns up. And it is Christ that is in us and that is in the world 
that keeps us going, that keeps us working. In Romans chapter 6, verse 36, it says, For of Him and through Him and to Him, talking about Jesus, are all things to whom be glory forever. And Paul wrote in Acts 17, 28, For in Him we live and move and have our being. And he was quoting, he was quoting secular poets. It's a universal truth that we know. That in Christ we live and move and have our being. He is what holds us together. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. God, not only, it's not just the blue smoke or the oxygen or the gravity. What it is that holds the atoms together is, is God's presence in the universe. Have you ever thought about that? Why don't we just float off of the planet? Because of gravity. How does gravity work? There's some theories. They don't know for sure exactly how gravity works. Why, don't the, why do the molecules in our body not just spontaneously explode? What's holding that together? Is it the same force as gravity? Physicists have, and um, theoretical physicists have been trying to work this out for years and years and years. Right? And now you have another irrational fear of exploding spontaneously. You're welcome. Sweet dreams. Uh, but... Uh, Scientists, they can observe these things, but they can't fully explain it. And I believe it's God. It's God. So here, they literally have Jesus with them in the wilderness. He's talking about in 1 Corinthians 10. They literally have God with them day and night in this physical cloud, this pillar of fire. And he's like right there. He's spoon feeding them. He like sprinkles food on the ground for them every day. He gives them meat to eat. He sustains their bodies. The Old Testament says their clothes didn't wear out. He just kept them alive and going in this place that is uninhabitable where you're not supposed to be able to live. He just kept them going. And I've, and I've told you last week, if you have these habits, these spiritual disciplines in your life, then you'll walk with Jesus and be free. And we'll have victories over sin in your life. But, there's a warning. Look what Paul says next. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, look, they were with God. They walked with God. They followed Moses. But, but, with many of them, God was not well pleased. God was not pleased with them. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now how could it, they possibly mess this up? You have God walking with you every single day. He's like right there. You can see the cloud. You see the pillar of fire by night. You know, he talks to you. He's actually giving your family food. Like every day, you just walk outside and it's like Wonder Bread. Okay, or honey buns, which would be even better. Just on the ground, you know, we're just going to eat this. It's going to be amazing. It's just right there for you. And then, you know, a bird comes along and like jumps in your pot. And you can like just cook it, you know. And you're just snagging them up left and right. You know, you kick them and you have food. And he's providing this way for your family. How could you possibly not follow him? How could you possibly turn away from that? How could you be spoon-fed the presence of God and yet still release the, the magic blue smoke? Still mess up? Still be disconnected and displease God and be destroyed in the wilderness? Well, he's going to explain it to us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6, it says, Now these things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things, 
as they all lusted. Now, I know a lot of you guys, uh, maybe you're like, oh man, he's talking about sex and lust and uh, you know, maybe you need to hear this message. Maybe you're, you're like, oh, here we go again. Maybe you think, oh good, he's not talking about me. So I put the ESV up there because it, it gives a little more clear meaning so that nobody gets left off the hook. In verse 6 it says in the ESV, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. You see, lust is an old word. And we think of lust as just, re- just referring to sex or sexual sin. But lust is not just about sex. Lust is about evil desire. It's about desires that are, are not good. Evil desire. There are evil desires that can easily derail your walk with Christ. And they need to be exposed for what they truly are. We have to expose these evil desires and we need to deal with them through repentance. We started the series by talking about repentance. Remember what repentance is. I put it all on one big slide. I usually don't do this, but this way you could see it. Repentance is acknowledging the harm. I did something. It wasn't good. It was bad. It, it was hurtful. I'm going to confess to God and another human being. Remember James 17? Or, or not James chapter 17, but in uh, James, I want to say 17. You have to look it up. That when we confess our faults one to another, we are healed. I confess to God. I tell a, a trusted mentor or friend, I did this thing and I'm sorry. And then we apologize. I was wrong. I'm sorry. No excuses. No like, well, you know, I had a good reason for it. But you know, you understand this thing happened. Then we make amends. We repay the debt as best we can. Then we make structural changes that make it easier to do the right thing and harder to do the wrong thing next time. If you don't do this last part, I don't know if, like repentance is just going to keep coming up over and over in your life. But when this happens and you reckon, I did bad, I did harm, I confess it to God, I tell another person in my small group or something like that, I apologize to the person that I wronged, I ask forgiveness, I make amends, I do what I can to make it right, if I can make it right, and then I make changes in my life. This is the people, places, things, stuff. I'm going to make changes in my life so it's harder for me to do the wrong thing and easier for me to do the right thing. If that means don't hang out with those friends, you don't hang out with their friends. It means don't go to that place, you don't go to that place. It means cutting something out of your life, you cut something out of your life. Because when you really mean repentance, when you make the structural changes necessary, and that's oftentimes the scary hard part, because that requires trusting God. Oh, I can't go there, I can't do that anymore. Will I be okay? Will I be okay? Yes, you will. So, as we go through these evil desires, there's only four of them, it's not going to take us too long. But if one comes up and you're like, that's me. I don't want you to just feel bad. I don't want you to be like, oh, I got beat up in church today. I want you to think about this slide. And I want you to think about repentance. And deal with it in a way that's going to take you to your next step and not just continue repeating the same cycle over and over. So, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7 is our first one. Idolatry. Paul says, neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What is idolatry? I grew up in Japan. My mom's here. They were missionaries in Japan. I'm really glad my mom is visiting. It's so cool to see her. Um, you know, I grew up as a missionary kid in Japan, and we saw idols. We saw idols at the temple. Every shop you would go in, they would have the little cat. You probably see these at the Asian restaurants. That cat is an idol. You know, it's got the little arm up like this. Some of them move, you know, if you're, <laughs> you buy the high dollar cat. I don't know. But 
That cat is an idol that you put in your shop and the, the agreement that you're making is I will take care of you idol, I will dust you, I will display you so that you get a, a position of prominence, you're usually up on a high shelf, and in return, idol, you will bless my business. But that is. Look, straight up idol worship. I saw this all the time in Japan. Then I come back to the States. And we don't really do that. We don't have a whole lot of physical idols at our house. Well, most of you don't. <sighs> but what is idolatry? Are we off the hook then as, as Americans because we don't have these, these sculptures? What is idolatry? Idolatry simply is this. Making my desires more important than God's desires. Making my desires more important than God's desires is idolatry. When my desire is elevated above what God desires, that's idolatry. Taking credit and glory for something that God did is idolatry. We're trying to manipulate God to be who you want Him to be rather than worshiping Him and serving Him for who He is. That's when we say, oh my gosh, I did not study for this test and I don't know what I'm going to do. Dear God, I promise I will pray like every day if you will just help me through this. And we make those little bargains. That's idolatry. We're making God into like this like magic genie box where I'll, like, I'll give you something and you give me something. He's a real being. He's a real uh, entity. He is a supernatural power. He has his own personality, own desire, own will, own goals. And we can't just manipulate him into, I promise I'll do this, do that. It's idolatry. When we elevate our desires above God's desires, making my desire more important than God's desire is idolatry. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the almighty creator of the universe, and doesn't have anything, he doesn't have to do anything, he doesn't have to do one thing to deserve your worship. He already does. And he's already done more than enough to be praised. So idolatry is the first one. Do you have desires in your life that you see and you know, well, I shouldn't do that, but God, God will forgive me. It'll be all right. I'll just, it's not that big a deal. You know, God's gracious and loving and kind. I'll just go ahead and do it anyways. You elevate your desire even though the Bible says you shouldn't do it. That's idolatry. You're worshiping yourself your own selfish desire. And I think that happens a lot in our culture, right? We've all experienced that ourselves. We've all done that. Idolatry is alive and well. Idolatry is alive and well. And this is one of the evil desires that when it comes into our mind, when you're tempted to put your desire above God's desire, this is a thing that will derail your walk with Christ. Even if you're you're reading the scripture and you're doing spiritual disciplines, this desire, if you would entertain it, can derail your walk with God. The next one, sexual immorality. It's on the list. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication, sexual immorality, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Now, um, back in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel came across the people called the Moabites. And the Moabite women took a liking to the Israelite guys, and they started dating. And then they started sleeping together. And when they started sleeping together, the Israelite men started worshiping and participating in the pagan religion of the Moabite women. And this bothered God. And so he killed like 24,000 of them. 
he, he wiped them out. The guys thought they were hot. They started talking. They started hanging out. They started sleeping together. They started worshiping the Moabite gods rather than the God of Israel. And it always ends worshiping someone else's desires. Guys, gals, if you let sexual immorality, the desire to have sex and use your body in a way that, that God says is not, not helpful and, and it could be harmful. So God defines as husband and wife in a marriage relationship. It's great. God created it. It's good. It's beautiful. But when we, when we pursue this evil desire, it comes into our mind. It comes into our heart. I want this thing. I really want it. And then we just do it. And we go that way or we entertain it in our thoughts. Then that's going to derail your walk with God. You might think, well, I'm just going to do this thing and it'll be okay and then I'll go back to following God and everything will be all right. No, it's going to completely derail your walk with God. These evil desires are on a list that Paul puts together that says these will, will derail you no matter what else you're doing. These have the power to just wreck your relationship with God. And it always ends up worshiping someone else's desires. You start because you have the desire for this sexual fulfillment in your life. And so then you do whatever you need to do to get that, and then that quickly turns into now you're doing whatever they want you to do, so you're worshiping their desire, and they become your God. And you'll put the desires of your partner above God's desires too. Not only are you putting your sex drive above God's desires for you, you are enslaved to whatever will satisfy that sex drive. Sex is great. God made it. We should enjoy it in marriage as God intended. But sex is a lousy God. The next one, to test Christ's mercy, to tempt Christ or to test Christ. All right? Verse 9, neither let us tempt or test Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. So if you go back in the Old Testament in Numbers, there's a story of how they were destroyed by serpents. God sent snakes to bite them. It's pretty crazy, the Old Testament. You should read it sometime. It's pretty intense. But God sent snakes. Why would God send snakes? Like, that seems harsh. It seems a little overkill. You know, like your kids aren't going to bed. These the snakes. <laughs> eh, it's not a bad idea. I don't know. We're, trying that. <laughs> We're not that kind of Baptist people, okay? And we don't baptize babies. <laughs> they were unhappy with their situation. The nation of Israel was unhappy with their situation. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. And this is what they said. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Why did you bring me out here? You did it so that I'll die. That's contemptuous. That's saying to God, you don't care about me. Yes, the Bible says God is love and you are merciful and you are kind, but I don't believe it. You did this because you hate me. Because you don't care about me. You did this because you're evil. Okay, that is big. That is a bad thing to do. And it's testing the mercy of Christ. God's so merciful. So can I just do whatever I want? Can I just say whatever I want? Can I just do whatever I want and not worry about what God's going to do? Feeling unhappy or dissatisfied is okay in life. It's okay to feel unhappy or dissatisfied. But responding to that feeling by cursing God 
and His provision in your life is stupid dangerous. I'm not talking about telling God what you're feeling. God, I'm feeling like, like you don't care. I think it's okay to say that. That's different from, God, you just don't care. See the difference? God wants to know our feelings. He wants to know what's really going on. And we can be truthful. We can be transparent. We can be just as clear as day. But when it crosses the line into, this is your fault and you don't care about me, now, that's a desire that will derail your walk with God. That is a desire that will derail your walk with God. Having the evil desire alone isn't sin, but entertaining it and dwelling on it and giving into it is sin, and it will wreck you. It will wreck you. So maybe you say, so far so good, three down. I don't have idols in my life. I'm doing pretty good with that. I don't have like sex problems. Like, whew, glad that one's over. And I've never cursed at God. Like, I would never do that. All right, well, hold on to your gizzard. Because we've got one left. Grumbling. Grumbling. Paul says in verse 10, neither murmur or grumble. That's another word for grumbling. Neither murmur ye. Don't grumble as some of them also murmured or grumbled and were destroyed of the destroyer. What does it mean to grumble? What does it mean to grumble? You see, uh, it's not like, uh, oh, what's the guy? The, the, the guy, the, the cowboy guy, you know? Sam? Anyways, you guys will tell me afterwards. Yes, Yosemite Sam. Yes, Yosemite Sam. Okay. <laughs> grumbling. Grumbling is to complain or protest about something in a bad temper, but muted way isn't that interesting grumbling the definition of grumbling is to complain about something in a bad tempered but muted more passive aggressive more socially acceptable way that's the actual definition of grumbling it's not like we all know that those people who just complain all the time well it's so hot in here and i can't believe they did that and what did they do with those floor and this is terrible and you're rotten and bleh. we don't we're not those people no We're more reserved and quiet and Christian about it. You know, it's more, I can't believe they did that. Would you believe what she did? It's quiet, passive-aggressive. This is grumbling. Grumbling. Sure, making a big, ugly scene isn't cool, but this is deeper. This is passive-aggressive. This is an attitude. This is... I'm all good on the outside, but on the inside, I'm ripping you to shreds and blaming you for everything. This is the nitpicking, the spirit of nitpicking. <laughs> uh, just trying to help. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, you're not helping. It's evil desire. Nitpicking. Eaten up with judgmental thoughts that of course I would never say out loud. I would never say out loud. But we're consumed by them. And if I did say it out loud, it would only be with a few trusted people in my prayer group. Right? Every one of us could fall into any one of these. Easily. We could easily fall into these. Where we grumble. 
or something happens that makes us uncomfortable and we just latch onto it. I'm justified to have this feeling because they wronged me or they did something. I, I'm justified in all these feelings that I'm saying and I'm just going to like latch onto it. And you know, I, there's not like a verse. I'm not cussing anybody out. I'm not acting on it. But you are. You're, you're internalizing it. You're sleeping with it. You're carrying it with you. You're letting it interrupt your shower time. You know, as you're playing it back over and over the tape of what they said and what you did and what they deserved and wish I would have said. You know, is grumbling, grumbling. Every one of us could fall into one of these. Every single one of us can give into these evil desires. So think about them. That's what Paul says. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples for us so that we could see how easily it is that even if you're with God, even if God is physically present, evil desire can derail your walk with Him. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you think you're good and you don't have any problems, look at the list again. Idolatry. Sexual morality. Testing Christ's mercy. For grumble. Double, triple check. Say, Holy Spirit, do I have this in me? Is this in me? If it's in me, God, let me repent. Let me repent. So what does Paul say to do? What does Paul say to do? Paul's advice is this. In verse 13 and 14, he says, There hath no temptation taken you, talking to me and you and the Corinthian church, there's no temptation that you face that is not common. The reason we laugh, the reason we, we relate with these things is because we've all experienced many of these things. This is common. You're not weird if you're tempted to put your desires above God's desires. You're not weird if you're tempted in sexual immorality. You're not a pervert. You're not weird or messed up if you, if you have those feelings of rage and you want to take it out on God. And you're not weird and messed up if you grumble. And you, you have this desire to grumble. But this is common. Every one of us is facing these things. So what do you do? When this temptation comes, first off, the temptation is never from God. God doesn't sit up there and be like, let's see if Bob's going to pass this one. <laughs> you know, and then just kind of swing it at you. That's not what's happening. The temptation comes from the enemy. And when the enemy sends the temptation, then God goes with it. And he brings with him, he is faithful to show up every single time you're tempted. Even if you don't see it, even if you don't realize it, he is there. He is there. If you'll open your eyes, He's there. He is faithful even when I'm not. He's faithful even when you're not. And He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation as the temptation's coming, He will also send an escape hatch, a way of escape that you may be able to bear it so that you can get out of the temptation. The temptations are not going to stop until we get to heaven. Until we are fully transformed into the image of Christ, you're going to have temptation. You're going to have desires that are evil and wrong, and they're going to come into your head, and you get to decide what to do about it. And with that temptation, though, God promises to send an escape hatch, to send a way out. Wherefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He wraps it all together, and he says, run. When you start to entertain the idea of putting your desire above God's, well, maybe, 
maybe you know the Holy Spirit wasn't didn't really mean that. You know, maybe you start rationalizing it, you start manipulating and kind of massaging it so that you could do what you want to do, even though you really know that God says you shouldn't do it and you feel like you shouldn't do it. But you're gonna make it work. We're gonna make it fit. When that happens, run, 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 run from idolatry. It seems so small sometimes. I'll just put my desire ahead of God just this once, just in this little area of my life. I'm doing so much for God, surely. He doesn't care about this little thing. But when you put your desire above God's desire, it's idolatry. So run. Look for the escape hatch and run. When these desires come, run from them. And then finally this, which leads us to baptism today. We're having baptism today, and it's a beautiful picture of this. It says in Colossians chapter 3, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, set your affection, your love, your desires on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. You know what that means? It means release the blue smoke. It goes on. Mortify therefore your members. Wipe it out. The sinful desire parts of you which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. That's just evil desire. Sinful desire. And covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, go ahead. Like we have, when you come to Christ, you are made alive in Christ and your spirit comes alive. And you still have your old self kind of hanging out. So what baptism is doing is overloading the circuitry. <laughs> We're going to release the blue smoke. We're going to fry this whole thought process, this whole way that I did life, all of my systems and processes, my old patterns, my old ways of living, my old ways of thinking, the things that I did to get ahead. I'm going to just short circuit all of that and just fry it until the smoke comes out and instead trust God that He's going to create new pathways of life. That He's going to teach me how to walk His way and not my old way. And if you don't fry it, if you don't fry that circuitry, if you don't kill it, if you don't mortify it, as Paul says, It'll just come back because it's already there. So when we, when we get baptized today, what they're saying is, I am being buried. I am burying my old self. I am burying it under the ground. And I'm leaving it there. And when I come out, I'm going to be new and alive in Christ. It is a picture of what God is doing on the inside. It is a picture for all of us on the outside. Release the blue smoke. So new pathways, new life can grow. It can happen in your life. So this morning, I'm going to finish up here. And I'm going to pray. But before I pray, I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you haven't been baptized. And maybe you want to do that today. Have you accepted Christ? Have you asked Him into your heart? If you've done that, your next step is baptism. The next step of obedience is to be baptized. So if you want to do that, we're ready for you. We've got shorts, t-shirts, water, towels. We've got a baptism team that is ready to receive you and pray with you and give you all the instructions. All you have to do is, while I'm praying, just get up and walk out those back doors. Ava and Mickey are going to be um, going. They're getting baptized already, so you just join them. If you want to do that today, 
that you could do that. I'm going to pray. Just get up and go as I pray. Dear God, I thank you for who you are. God, help us to recognize these evil desires in our life. Lord, whether it's idolatry, whether we're putting our personal desire above your desire, or we're not even consulting you when we pursue our personal desires, maybe we don't even know if our personal desire is good or healthy. God, I pray that you would have your Holy Spirit reveal to each person here what area they need to work on. What is their weakness? What is the area where they're constantly bombarded with evil desire? Maybe it's idolatry. Maybe it's sexual immorality. Maybe it's just a, a tempting Christ and getting mad and just blaming. Or maybe it's grumbling. The passive-aggressive just taking into our heart and soul all of those, those negative, unkind, unhelpful things and dwelling on those rather than what Philippians says. God, I pray that you would help us today to choose to take the escape hatch, to flee from idolatry, to trust you in the temptation because you have gone with the temptation to show up, to make an escape hatch. And if we'll follow you, you'll lead us into new life. You'll lead us into the truth and the truth will make us free. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.